do you feel like you had conversion like a conversion moment on this trip no no the, 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 i mean i think probably if it's real conversion it should sound terrifying it should sound like jumping out of an airplane yeah i mean i can't honestly say sitting here before you that i have i've experienced this hmm. and hmm. it does sound scary <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less cynical and more curious life. I'm Scott. And I am Macy. Welcome to episode number 47. Ooh, I didn't even know what episode it was. Good save. I've got the notes <laughs> Oh, you here. got the notes. <laughs> okay, we are titling this episode, Conversion. No drum roll for this one. It's just a Did big... you want to do a no, drum roll? No, I don't think so. It okay. doesn't feel like a drum roll to me. No, Conversion, which is, conversion is a the very title. enticing title. Hopefully it's enticing. And here's what's happening right here, right now. Um, what do I you mean by just, conversion? Well, I'm going to talk about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I just landed this afternoon uh, from a long trip from Belfast, Ireland. And I've been on a trip for five days in Ireland. Uh, and I'm going to talk about what I was doing there in a second. But uh, I haven't slept yet. I've been up. I've been awake for like 48 hours. Chaotic Scott on this podcast tonight. a little tonight. bit on the plane. Yeah, but I didn't really sleep that much. If anybody knows... Sleeping on a plane is, especially in coach, is just not really that great. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I'm trying to stay awake so that I can fall asleep tonight. I have not slept, uh, so I feel a little crazy. <laughs> we'll get a loopy, sleepy. But spot. we're committed. Look how committed we are. <laughs> you know, we were trying. We ha I brought the microphone to to Ireland, and we thought we were going to record while we were there. But it, you the, had the this schedule was just too packed. idea in your head yeah. that you were going to have so much free time. I know, and I kind of did, but. But not in the sense that it synced up in any way with your availability here. Oh, you know true. what I mean? Like it would have had to be like 5 p.m. my time, 8 a.m. your time. And that was just oh. it was just hard. It was hard. The, 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 the window was very small for an opportunity to record. So anyways, here we are. I'm going to try to get right into why we're talking about this. Why they were titling this conversion. conversion. Yeah. So I went to this thing it's really hard to describe we all joked about it the entire trip of, of how this is hard to describe but it's like it's like a conference but it's not called a conference but if you just want to understand probably the clearest way for you to just understand what it is is a conference but in order to be cool and different and unique and not <laughs> cheesy they don't call it a conference they call it a festival a festival yeah uh so here here's but it's not like a big music festival it's not a big music festival although there's music there was music there were there were comedians, there were magicians, there was cabaret, there were tons of performers, there were artists, there was podcasters, there were philosophers, theologians. It was just a big all sorts of things. Conglomerate. Yeah. Of Meeting cool at this things. place called the Black Box, which is like a really cool bar slash performance hall in the center of Belfast, which hmm. I'd never been to Ireland. I don't know if any of you out there have been to Ireland. So that was an experience for me. I got to go on a bus tour. I saw the Game of Thrones set, which was pretty oh, cool. Oh, wow. It's all filmed there. Now, side note, I don't know if anybody finds this entertaining. I was angry and entertained. I'm in the place where they film Game of Thrones. This mm -hmm. is You can see King's Landing here and the Iron Throne. 
and I could not watch the most recent episode of Game of Thrones in Ireland. I have oh. HBO Go, I have HBO Now, I have Hulu, I have Amazon Prime, and I, and I was not allowed, you're not, an American account can't watch, and I didn't know how to set up a, a UK account, so I'm there in the this town. This caused some serious oh, anger. Because if anybody knows Game of Thrones, this last week was a massive episode, and I still haven't seen it, I'll probably watch it tonight, but man, that was so frustrating. So anyways, this, um, this was led by a guy named Peter Rollins, who uh, I recommend to you, just as an interesting person. Hmm. Um, I don't sign off on everything he says, but I don't sign off on all things that anybody says. So it's not unique. Even yourself. <laughs> Even myself for that matter. Uh, so I've been following Peter Rollins work for a long time. He's sort of a cutting edge theologian philosopher. Um, and this is a festival slash conference that he put on. And Marissa, my wife gifted me this trip for Christmas and it was a complete surprise. I've always seen him advertising it. Yeah. He's been doing this for seven years now and I've, never thought it possible that I would ever go. So to have it just handed to me, it was, Such it was really gift. sweet. Like the day, the day I got it, we were all crying. My kids knew what was coming. Yeah. Before I'm even opening the present, everybody's like on pins and needles. This never happens. Oh. And, uh, Marissa's crying. My kids are crying. I'm like crying. So it was a big deal, but here's what it says on the, on the, oh, the, the, the festival's called wake. The theme was born again, but we're titling this episode, uh, conversion. Uh, here's what it says in the beginning or the, the front of the little program here, a transgressive festival that mixes the best in incendiary intellectual exploration with underground art, music, magic, comedy, cabaret, tours, and talks to forge an experience that embodies the destabilizing essence of pyro theology. Pyro theology is something Peter Rollins has sort of coined. Point. Yeah. And, um, it involves a sort of philosophy and theology, about God, but also what he calls like a technology or a method for um, essentially self-critique. So he has all of these things that he started that helps people. I'll I'll just talk a little bit about him. He has one called uh, the Lord's Supper, where essentially you get a group of people and you have somebody that plays the Christ figure at the center of the table, and they are somebody that has a different religion than you, Hmm. and you Hmm. let them lead the discussion and you treat them as sort of a savior. Wow. And they, that's they really save you from your false beliefs, so mm. to speak. Mm. And he has like tools and, and a program to put that together. He has something called the evan- evangelism project, which is similar. Like you're supposed to get a group of people and go to different places of worship and meet with people that um, have different religions than you and learn from them. Mm. And you ask them the question. There's a series of questions you ask, but the last question is, how do you see us? So you're supposed to understand mm-hmm. that Gosh. people see you in strange ways just as you see them in strange ways. Yeah. It's like he has one called the Omega Course, which is the opposite of the Alpha Course. And it's instead of a way into the faith, it's a way out of the faith. Now, this is the thing. It's misleading because people would think Peter Rollins is trying to get you to not be a Christian. But essentially, he's trying to get you to abandon the naive, childish, not childlike, Hmm. childish perspectives you have of, of Christianity or whatever faith system you grew up in to have a more rich, evolved, robust faith. It's like unpacking your faith so you can com- be like, or like maybe destroying it so then you can, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're not attached to just some idol and you can have a more expansive yes. understanding. Well of said. Now, if anybody was at this festival and knows Peter Rollins and they ever find this podcast and listen to it, uh, admittedly I'm probably misrepresenting some of this stuff so I'm not articulating it perfectly but this episode is me kind of processing out loud it's inspired, I, yeah, and it's inspired in honor of Peter Rollins it's, it's an honor I hope I'm doing it justice 
And then he has um, something called Atheism for Lent, yeah. uh, where he, you essentially uh, read some the writings of some atheists in order to understand so, sort of the general critiques that atheism makes of Christianity, so you understand the outside perspectives. I mean, it's about seeing other, other outside perspectives essentially. Yeah. And we were when like Peter Rollins, just so everybody knows is like on our show notes as like a note, like mm-hmm. we could go, you could go so deep on just who is Peter Rollins. Oh, and we'd love to have him on the podcast someday. Yeah. He's so great. He's yeah. funny. He's got a really cool Irish accent. <laughs> he has a uh, strong Irish accent. But yeah, really cool. So this trip was really fun for me. It was fun. I mean, that was kind of the thing I think he's trying to do is, it's not just this dry conference where you show mm-hmm. up and you have your continental breakfast in the morning and you go to your sessions. It's yeah. it's like all throughout the day, it's interspersed with all these rogue, really rogue comedy magician music moments that at times made us all very uncomfortable. I think that was the <laughs> point. And I could go on w- about those things, but man, there was a comedian one night that made us all so uncomfortable. Oh my and, goodness. and then there was a day where we all went to this thing called the vault where we were all we were all we all got to divide up into these groups and we danced we played music together we did painting we it's did art epic. yeah it was it was so cool i mean a lot of this is tied into art too so uh, i'll just give a little we're making this quick but i'll just give a little preview of what we're going to talk about the first part of this episode so i'm going to go through a little bit of the content this week was filled with content four mm-hmm. days of content i'm going to give like one-tenth of what I learned. I'm going to try to focus on this theme of conversion. Mm-hmm. And people say you master something or learn better when you teach it. So, so essentially, here you go. That's essentially what I'm doing with Macy right here and maybe with you all. <laughs> um, I'm trying to unpack a little bit of what I learned. And, of course, it's not going to be perfect. Of, por- of course, I'm going to get some things wrong. Uh, but I think it's going to be worth your time. I'm um, pretty – I'm Scott and I started chatting about this, what we were going to be talking about, and mm-hmm. already I was like, ooh, I'm yeah. getting so pumped. <laughs> so I think this will be good. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> For yeah. us all, us, us lay folk, us not Peter Rollins followers. I guess if you're I'm a person excited to hear it. that it's not just about me downloading and everybody debriefing my trip with me. If, if you're in any way interested in a, a little bit of self-growth, self-evolution, and the ways and means in which to do that, hmm. I think that's a little bit of what this is. Yeah. So it'll give you some pointers. And me too. I'm, I'm again, still learning as I talk. So the first part is going to be talking about this thing that he likes to call lack. And lack is sort of his word for sin or separation or the God-shaped hole or the void or hmm. the, the hmm. thing that we feel and find is missing in our lives hmm. and what we try, the destructive things we try to do to fill that void. So that's the first part. It's called the lack. We're only going to spend like 20 minutes on it. The second part, we'll be really delving into this idea of conversion and how we talked about that on this trip. And so what does it mean to convert or to change or to switch positions or to evolve, so Mm. to speak? And then the last part, we'll be talking a little bit about how do we do this in community or in our lives? Like what are the structures that we set up in order? Because I think one of the things Peter Rollins is saying is it it has to be more than just an idea. It has to be a lived, embodied practice. Yeah, Yeah. And you need community to do it. So, whoo boy. Here we go, everybody. We're at 10 minutes. That was the goal. That is the intro. I hope it sounds mildly interesting to you. If it doesn't, fine. We have a color episode last week you can go back and listen to, (laughs) 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 which is also pretty rogue, but uh, that's it. Coming up next is we're going to talk about the lack, the hole, the void. Coming up next.
okay you guys we are back here we are and so what i think we're gonna do is i'm gonna i'm, I'm talking to macy guys I'm she's right my here, co-host <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna explain this to macy and you guys are gonna be in on it and so i have my notes in front of me so what my plan is, is is just to try to read my notes out loud and unpack them. Okay. I'll cool. try to make it as interesting as possible. I'm not just going to like rote. And I'll try to be curious yeah, try for to be you curious. all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this first part is we're talking about what he calls the lack. So like you lacking something in your life. You, you sensing deep down as you walk around in the world that you lack something. Is he saying that we do? We do. We do have it. We do have a lack, existentially and literally, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we feel it. It's, it's, it's to a certain extent, my understanding is this lack is the root of all sort of our destructive behavior and our, our messed up, toxic, dysfunctional relationships. So right there, if, you're, if that resonates with you, maybe you have perfect relationships. Maybe you don't have any weird <laughs> issues in your relationships. But if you do... I think the point is to think that it all stems from this sense of lack or this sense of a void or this sense of unfulfillment. And so I'll unpack that a little bit. But um, so he calls this festival wake. And I just I just always assumed it meant coming awake, like mm-hmm. waking up. Mm-hmm. So right is when we get like there, it's like dying. A yeah, it's like dying. And, the, and oh. this little thing on the front is a coffin. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So he said the first talk that Peter Rollins gave when we got there was he explained what this idea of the wake was. And he this is what he said. This is in my notes. It says, we are here to mourn the idols that promised us happiness. Hmm. So if you think hmm. about the idols in your life, the things that you thought would bring you happiness and fulfillment, part of what this trip essentially was supposed to do is to acknowledge them as idols and essentially meaninglessness and essentially yeah. false yeah. promises and and to mourn them and and he he really emphasized that that's really important like to acknowledge them and to and to spend time with them and to process and to acknowledge and to not just like gloss over that right right to like really think about them Mm -hmm. all just like you would at a wake you know and and there's something that we don't like about death that makes us uncomfortable we want to look away and it's like, and it's also awake as communal. So we're doing it together hmm. and we're all looking at each other's idols and acknowledging that they exist. And I mean, that's, that's essentially one of the big themes you'll hear me talk about tonight is just this idea of these things that we latch onto in an obsessive way hmm. that we think hmm. are going to make us happy Yeah. or the false promise of happiness the false promise of fulfillment. And that's sort of the main premise of this trip. And a lot of what Peter Rollins has to say is that fulfillment and happiness is a myth. (laughs) What does he mean by that? It's not, it's literally, I mean, this is one of the things about Peter Rollins that's been very intriguing to me over the years is that he combines insights from psychoanalysis and psychology with spirituality. Yeah. So, you, ne- you never quite know if he's talking about literal psychoanalysis or science mm-hmm. or if he's talking about philosophy and spirituality and theology. Maybe it's both. Well, because he's not his he's not like putting those boundaries out there. Yeah. He's allowing himself to think in all those right. ways. Right. Which makes the ideas that more like, I don't know, inclusive and beyond. Yeah. There's tons. I mean, this this whole premise is curiosity. Like another mm-hmm. thing that Peter Rollins loves to say is. You may, I mean, and in, in I come from like what you call a confessional background, especially like Presbyterians. Yeah. We're very heady and intellectual and everything is like, 
organized and neat and put into doctrines and stuff like that. Oh, so yeah. I confess, I believe, I say, I think. Mm-hmm. And one of the things Peter Rollins would say is we don't even know what we believe. Like you can say those things, but you mm-hmm. actually don't know. Hmm. You don't know deep down if you what actually those, believe that yeah. or what they mean. And others don't either. Hmm. So he says, you know, if the premise of this trip especially is we don't know what we believe, we can approach all these things with a ton of curiosity and lightness, you know. Right, because if you're at least acknowledging beginning of saying like, well, this whole time, like we haven't even really known. Yeah. So like it's not as high stakes as you put into it because we don't know what we believe. Yeah. So we can at least lightly think about it. We're an enigma to ourselves, he Hmm. says. Ooh. Ooh. Isn't that good? (laughs) So, um, So we have this lack. And we're mourning these idols that promised us happiness. And so he did start with Christianity in terms of thinking about this lack and t- talking about this concept of sin. So he's he's linking the concept of lack to mm-hmm. the concept of sin and to think about the Garden of Eden and our initial sense of separation with God. Right. Now, he would also say this is a constant debate between Macy. And I know this. Seems For him, it starts with a, a separation, like everything starts with a separation, which yeah, this is where we get into the great debate Imago about... day, love, are we essence? <laughs> is this Enneagram? What are we talking about? I know. Yeah. This is like pulling on so many different angles. But already, I had a quick tendency to say, wow, fascinating to start like with all like your complete lack rather than saying, oh, like you are completely whole. Yeah, it will be interesting. That. It will be interesting because I've thought a lot about this because I'm, I'm, again, I'm presenting some material here that I think is interesting. I'm not like all in. And it doesn't necessarily mesh up with necessarily my current understanding and belief, if I can even say that, you know, based on what we're saying, <laughs> in, in Christianity or what I understand and would affirm Christianity to be. Mm-hmm. And even the things we've been talking about in terms of Enneagram, it doesn't necessarily mesh up, but but it'll be interesting to see like what well, we it's, can take. Well, it's fascinating. It's something else to add to the table. Yeah, totally. The buffet. A buffet. <laughs> A buffet of beliefs. Let's, let's pick and choose. Um, so... <laughs> So we t- he, he links this to this sense of like the trauma of birth. And mm-hmm. this is a very Freudian thing. So all of this is like very Freudian. Too. In psychoanalysis. S- yes. So the, he, he says there is a void or a trauma that, that starts us off in childbirth. And a lot of like what he would say in terms of um, the void is our sense of wanting to get back to what he calls the oceanic oneness of the mm. womb. Hmm. Like be- coming out into the world is traumatic. Yes. And we want to get that experience of like safety and fulfillment and wholeness hmm. that was in the womb. Hmm. And then when you tie that into Ooh, some that spirit, is like isn't that interesting? A, a, a beautiful image, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Yeah. And we can't is the point. We can't get back. Um, and, and same with the garden, like the same with the detachment that we experienced with God. Hmm. Um, this is the lack. This is the void. It starts with this sense of what he calls Another word for the lack is separation. Hmm. So we're living in this deep. We're uh, always longing. Yeah. We're always like wanting something like holding yes. on to something. Yes. And I think it's whatever, all the words we want to use spiritually, psychologically, biologically, all these things. It's in us. It's, yeah. it's a it's a spiritual metaphysical reality, but it's also a biological reality. Like we have something deep inside us that's wanting to get back. So desperately. Hmm. Yeah. And all the things that we do to a certain extent are trying to recover that. Hmm. Hmm. And so that's the lack. So here I go just kind of looking through my notes here. I'm going to try. So this is, um, we're moving so fast. So hopefully this is interesting. <laughs> to everybody. Um, one of the things he talks about to just continue to clarify the 
the things that we do to fill the void or to fill mm-hmm. the lack. Mm-hmm. Uh, he distinguishes, and this is a Freud thing too, but I mean, we're also talking theologically and psychoanalytically, the difference between instinct and drives. And again, if anybody has studied psychology or a therapist out there, like he's not, he's not getting this totally right. Maybe I'm not getting it totally <laughs> right, but you can still understand what I'm saying. Instinct versus drive. So it's like, animals have instincts we all have instincts but an instinct is essentially like food shelter water what what, any of those Mm. things that we need to survive and at least my understanding is that typically and i'm I'm pretty sure this is true animals stop when the instinct is fulfilled Hmm. but only humans have sort of this pathological need to keep going Hmm. like i have food and shelter but i want more food i want more shelter i want more houses i want more resources Hmm. i'm going to start hoarding and this is what they is. That's is what it, it's a drive. That's a drive and not an instinct. And mm. so um, that's one of the things that they say the drives sort of stem from this obsessive pathological need to fill the void. Mm. And mm. It, it's what causes not only. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it causes like personal um, suffering. toxicity and suffering. And it also causes macro societal suffering. Mm, we're mm-hmm. all doing it. Mm-hmm. We're we're over consuming. Yeah. You know, and, and this was, this was not, we're not going to really get into this this week, but one of the ma- my major themes that was tied to this idea of filling the void was a, the, a big, deep focus on capitalism, which mm. I won't get into right now, but Ooh. I know it's big. So um, <laughs> this won't be new to anybody that studied Freud or anything like this, but we did talk about this concept of the pleasure principle. And the pleasure principle is this drive that causes us to seek pleasure to our own detriment. So it's hmm. like one of the things they talked about is, in ter- especially in a capitalist society, is this kind of concept of selfishness that they turned on its head and said, if we were truly selfish, we wouldn't be obsessively spending our money the way that we do or buying and consuming the way that we do because it's not in our self-interest. Hmm. Like we spend hmm. our money to the point where we're in debt. Um, it doesn't. It d- and the things we're spending our money on doesn't provide fulfillment. We're, we're like, mm. we have our focus on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, we have this obsessive thing to consume or. Woo. Yeah, it's big. This feels big. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, and uh, so we have this pleasure principle that's pushing us to do all these things. There's, they talked about these like lab rat experiments, of course, where um, I forget exactly how they set it up. But essentially this these rats would choose this one type of food that they were going after and they would just keep bumping into the glass until they died because they just kept trying Mm. to get it. And he even called it like the zombie drive. Like Hmm. I'm just going to go after this until I die. I'm not going to care. That was a lab rat. Yeah. Well, and we do the same thing, but that is very interesting that these animals had drives. Well, they did something to (laughs) replicate like the human pleasure principle. I don't quite remember exactly. I just have lab rat. written down here (laughs) i just am trying to remember what what they were talking about this is amazing yeah so here's here's something that i really liked is um they're they're constantly flipping things on their head so like even peter ron said wake is a desert in the midst of the oasis Ooh, isn't that interesting that is very (laughs) like going out into the desert and Mm -hmm. you know it's really yeah so um one of the things he said is our idea of heaven is hellish uh, oh, meaning our true. idea of heaven is exactly this concept of the pres- pleasure principle. And he said there are religions of what you call the reality principle, hmm. uh, religions that help us deal and wrestle with reality. And then there are religions, which Christianity tends to fall into this, or manifestations of Christianity, hmm. that fall into the pleasure principle religion. Oh, that is that really That are promising fascinating. fulfillment, that are, that, are, that are tapping into this lack and telling you that it's like 
it's like consumerism or a product and and like yeah um, selling jesus like yeah. we know you have this lack and we know you want fulfillment and here you can get it if you come to our church and you buy these things and you do these programs and it's it's just tapping into the toxic self-sabotaging. Wow. Yeah. Major <laughs> steps to this thought. <laughs> Gosh, it seems to be like naming so much truth. Yes. Oh, man, it feels so real. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, man, yeah. I, I never hear this stuff. I'm like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know what they're talking about. What would be, uh, did he give faith examples or faith tradition examples that are more in tune with the reality principle? I think any tradition and, and, and I think any any Christian tradition has this in their liturgy if they if they want to tap into it. It's in the scriptures. Anything that hmm. lets us wrestle with God, anything that l- lets us name reality or lament hmm. or cry out hmm. and not pretend yeah. is probably in line with what he'd be advocating for. And I've experienced that in my life. Like it feels so right and cathartic to have and to sing a worship song in a Christian worship service that focuses on lament. And hmm. focuses on how broken we are and how broken the world is yeah. without a- offering answers. Right. Um, so hmm. that's from the Christian tradition. I mean, he has yeah, other there's ways. There's probably a lot of faith traditions. Like that I tried are to say, like, grounded. this is a big umbrella. So you d- this wasn't like you have to be a Christian to attend. There's people from all walks of life. Yeah. Um, this year, out of like 50 people, I think two people raised their hand that said they weren't Christian. Hmm. <laughs> so it's like most people, I think, that coming to this were, but he said his goal would be for that to like be half and half someday. Like, this would be open to just anybody that is coming from all walks of life. Hmm. So uh, we're wrapping up this part on lack, but there's a few more cool things to think about, uh, to think about the, our, our typical modern. And this, this is true, actually. I mean, it's, it's not just Christians. It's anybody, it's anybody that wants to think about the concept of heaven. And actually this gets covered in a lot of like N.T. Wright's work on the, the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. that we have this sort of, utopian version of heaven that in many ways is not biblical right and um yeah so he's saying our versions of heaven play into the pleasure principle and so like he talks about if anybody remembers the end of willy wonka and the chocolate factory charlie inherits the chocolate factory and the movie he goes up into the floating glass elevator with willy wonka and um gene hackman not gene hackman uh, gene wilder mm-hmm. who plays willy wonka uh looks at um, Charlie and it's like this whimsical thing and it's funny because I've loved this scene my whole life mm-hmm. and with like a little twinkle in his eye and you know Peter Rollins is talking about this in his talk says remember what happened to the boy who got everything he ever wanted he lived happily ever after kind of a crazy line and he says this is like the voice of Satan this is mm. Satan in the flesh mm. tempting you with the idea that if you got whatever you wanted you'd be, be happy so happy and he said um, that is the definition of melancholy in our life. If we have something that we finally get, hmm. we realize it didn't fulfill us. And then we're still trapped in this cycle of lack. Ooh, and ooh, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've, I think we've all experienced that. Anybody, anybody can think about that. Like well, I mean, we live in a, so- we live in a society that is perpetuating these notions. Yes. So yes. it's like, we're, it's, it's not just Christianity. Obviously. No, it's no, no. Every, it's, it's everywhere. We, I mean, especially, like we live in Seattle, America. Mm-hmm. Like the up- we live in Seattle, America. <laughs> Seattle, America. <laughs> um, the state of America. <laughs> that sounded funny. Um, I forget what I was saying. Oh, it's everywhere. You're saying. Oh, it, it, it's everywhere, and uh, like it's a part of just like being. I don't know if it's just like specific to America, but it feels like we're like happiness is 
the goal of life. Happiness is the goal of life. That's exactly. what it's like. People messages are telling us. And I've always been like, I think you like my foreignness probably yeah. is like, y'all are wrong. You might have some wisdom. You, like you guys are wrong. Yeah. No, like you're, that's that's yeah, this missing is gonna be so kind of much for oh i think this is major here. four thoughts i'm like yeah um yeah because just to just to pause briefly as we wrap up this little section on lack i mean i think the main point is to say that our striving for happiness and he even talked about this idea um that it, you know in in american documents it says you know for the pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. uh, he said that this is a toxic unhealthy thing that's slowly killing and us. we're all clinging on to yeah, like this is this is my right that i can pursue yeah. happiness because it's a false hope hmm. Ooh. Um, and it's, a, it's an addiction uh so yeah so he says this willy wonka is like if, if you all of a sudden realize it's like satan in costume or something being like oh you got whatever you wanted and then he talks about this episode of the twilight zone that i'd love to watch someday and I'm not going to give the whole thing, but I, I mean, I will give it away. So spoiler alert, old Twilight Zone episode, everybody. <laughs> but uh, apparently there's this character, Rocky Valentino, who dies and um, goes to heaven and and he gets everything he wanted. And there's this angel character that's like, what do you want? He's like, I want to win at gambling. I want this. I want this. But his big thing is apparently, based on what I understand about this episode, is he just keeps winning at gambling. The angel comes back and Rocky Valentino is very unhappy. And he's like, I, I, this isn't fun. I thought winning at gambling all the time would be fun. And he's like, okay, well how often would you like to win? And he's like, well, that's not yes. how it works. And, um, he's just getting really frustrated and he starts yelling. He's like, I, I didn't think heaven would be this way. And the angel says, who told you you were in heaven? This is hell. Hmm. Like hell is getting whatever you want. Hmm. Um, Ooh, isn't that interesting? That Cause is. if you think about it, it makes so much sense. Like, I mean, obviously gambling isn't the best metaphor for like a fulfilled life, but if you take out all of the questions and the risk and the struggle, it's utterly boring and utterly unfulfilling. Yeah. Ooh. It can fetishize pain. It seemed like a little bit sometimes when we were talking about this, but, um, yeah, that's the only concern about this like way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So probably my only concern. Um, as we're rounding down, I'll just say, uh, (laughs) um, Let's see. It says we so so to wrap up like where we're kind of heading with this conversation is he said we need communities where we can be freed from the pursuit of happiness. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Communities I that can help That us feels do like that. a breath of fresh air in my it? world. Yeah. 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 Um and I mean his whole goal essentially just to get right out there and out front with it and we'll talk about a little about conversion in a second is to help us embrace the lack, mm-hmm. to help us enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like his, his big thing is to like enjoy the struggle, enjoy the, not necessarily enjoy the pain, but um, enjoy the idea that somehow your sort of fight for survival and fight to be alive and fight for existence is something that is extremely powerful and, and mm. honorable and mm. beautiful. Mm. And it's not something like your daily struggle to live shouldn't be seen as something that's um, sad or bad. It's like mm. it's proof that you're alive. It's proof that you're alive and kicking and trying to emerge, you know. Wow. <laughs> and if you're just handed your existence, if you're just ha- handed your identity, here's here's your job. Here's your identity. It just would be like this Rocky Valentino Twilight Zone thing, like unfulfilling. Yeah. So it's a false promise. That's this thing, this thing that's hanging out there, like happiness or fulfillment. Um, so I don't, There's the lack. yeah, that's the lack everybody. Next, I'm going to talk a little bit about 
the next step, which is we focused in so many different ways. We, we talked <laughs> about political theory. We we heard from us actual psychoanalyst. I'm not even going to get into that. There's just so much. We heard a big um, exegesis on a passage of Jesus uh, being served by a prostitute and how the prostitute makes everybody look stupid and then how that symbolizes conversion. But we're not going to talk about that tonight. You're not going to get to talk about all your big really thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to focus a little bit about on conversion. And that's coming up. back so that was mostly peter rollins stuff and then there was this guy from the university of vermont who teaches um english at university of vermont his name is todd mcgowan so mm -hmm. i highly recommend him you can look him up he's written a ton of books but he combines sort of um philosophy and cinema mm -hmm. and he, he talks david about lynch guy yeah he loves david lynch he said one of his favorite movies is fire walk with me which is great because it's one line even though it's highly disturbing but um he everybody everybody touched a little bit on conversion hmm. the thoughts i'm going to be sharing right now are mostly from todd mcgowan on conversion okay and it synced up a lot with what everybody was setting each other up essentially hmm. so this is this is essentially the next part two to lack like so now we have identified this problem we're obsessed with the pursuit of happiness it's actually hmm. hurting and killing us another way that they t talked about it which is another freudian thing was the death drive and they call it thanatos and that's something that like this obsession with happiness and fulfillment is actually killing us. Hmm. Um, and that's something too. I, I mean, it's very complicated, especially when you talk about how it all works out in the background subconscious of our brain that actually all we have there. a deep down n desire for self-destruction. And the ironic thing is that we do it through our pursuit of happiness. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It's so wild yeah. and twisty. We are crazy, everybody. Yeah. Peter Rollins at one point in a goofy way said, you know, if a relationship isn't toxic, we'll darn well make sure it is <laughs> <laughs> you know, by wanting to make it perfect, you know, and Gosh. trying so hard and not embracing that all relationships are essentially faulty because we're faulty. We're you know? all just. And that's OK. So sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so this is conversion. So, again, I'm just I'm just reading the bullets in my notes and I guess I'm pontificating a little bit <laughs> based on these <laughs> notes. This is a big one. But um, just think about, OK, conversion. I hope this is interesting because I think. I think if you if you listen, it's going to be pretty interesting. So this is right off the bat. Listen to this. He says conversion, conversion. So don't think about <laughs> classic Christian conversion. I mean, it might be, but it's just the concept of the word conversion the could be so many yeah. things. It like can you be convert so many converting is taking someone from one yeah. way of seeing something to a different way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But get ready for a little twist on that. Ooh, here we yeah. go. A twist. So conversion is the essential element to being free. Okay. So if you enjoy freedom in any way, 
this is this is the essential element they found the one (laughs) (laughs) and then so taking that step further says not converting is quote unquote not freedom so non-freedom is not converting so i'll unpack this a little bit i think i mean we're looking, looking down my notes here um this is another little quote from Todd as he presented. He said, we are born in chains and everyone can become free as long as they convert. So going to continue. Okay, this still this isn't explaining what conversion is. Right. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> but again, you guys, I just landed today and these are my notes. I'm having like memorized. This isn't like a talk I've, I'm giving, but I think it's going to become clear as I go. Um, this is another little great little. I just wrote down like quotes he was saying as he was going along. But he said, conversion, conversion is a radical act of lifting yourself out of what you've been given. So okay. if you it, let me let me give my own version of that. Essentially, okay. none of us. Everybody just stop and think about this for a second. None of us have been given pure truth. None hmm. of us have been raised in pure truth or right. a perfect way. Right. We've been handed a very particular worldview, very particular values and in order to become free quote unquote we sort of need to convert out of that system now it's not necessarily that that system can't be redeemed or rolled into your new system Hmm. of self okay in order for you to become a fully realized individuated self you need to sort of slough off and move out of the things that were handed to you Hmm. and decide for yourself who you are Hmm. True. And what you're going to move into. So that's, that's what freedom. conversion is. Well, it, yeah, it's going to get a little more tricky as we, we go, go. But that's 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 this that's the check in right now. <laughs> We're checking it. Um, it's just another. He's just making these big statements initially. Yeah. If you're never converted, you will never feel or see the divide that's within yourself. So here's another explanation about that based on what I understand him to be saying. If you don't at some point in your life, make the decision to move out of what you were handed Mm -hmm. and move into something new. Mm -hmm. We don't know what that is quite yet. That, that moving out of reveals helps you see what you were handed. So until you've made that decision to break from it, you won't fully see it. Oh, Oh, that makes so much sense. And this could be so many different things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and at the end, we're going to talk about like the liturgies and practices that assist in this. But essentially, he's saying whether it's through psychoanalysis, like literal psychoanalysis or Mm -hmm. counseling or deep friendships or certain practices, whether it be religious or otherwise, Mm -hmm. um, you essentially he's saying you need things to help you see it. Right. You you can't necessarily self see the things that you grew up with. It's like a fish swimming in water. This, I mean, this is like in line with like kind of catching yourself in the act, yes. but it's like yes. also, but it's saying like you also need other people to be catching you. Mm-hmm. The Enneagram helps you catch yourself in the act. Oh. I do think the Enneagram helps you see these things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, um, but it does also seem that it's a little risky to do it on your own. Right. Because you'll always be self Which I think it's risky to do the, enne- the Enneagram. Yeah. On your, you, yeah. you wouldn't, that's not doing the Enneagram. Yeah. I would yeah. Say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you really do need to be the one that sort of intimately identifies your key motivations, but you definitely need and should invite people into pointing out how that actually manifests itself. Yeah. Ooh, oh. Okay. It's a big one, guys. Conversion. We're just going. Um, okay. Uh, so here, keep going with these big statements. <laughs> Our self division. Our self-division makes us free and conversion makes that explicit. Hmm. 
So again, it's just highlighting. I've, apparently, when you make a decision to leave what you've been handed. And again, I think it's the th- same thing. You're I, like, well, keep going. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, having you chime in is good because it's it's helping me clarify. But it's it's like I've talked. I don't know if I've talked about this in this podcast, but Paul Tillich, who's one of my favorite theologians, has this book called the, the Courage to Be. And he talks about God arises when God dies mm-hmm. in, in anxiety and doubt. So what does that mean? It sounds very confusing, but essentially my understanding or interpretation, and this is a poor interpretation. It's a good interpretation. Okay, is essentially your childish, again, um, the thing, the, the, the concepts of God that have been handed down to you and interpreted in your mind in a way that uh, isn't necessarily true or helpful needs to die. Mm-hmm. And the anxiety and doubt in your life is speaking to you. Hmm. And he and, and Peter Rollins and others will say you need to mobilize your anxiety and your doubt in mm. order for it to consume hmm. that God. Yeah. So that yeah. actual God can come out. Oof. Isn't that huge? It is big. Yeah. And that's one of their big things, too. They were saying in, in the psychoanalysis context, they they encourage what they call hysterics. Like they say. Your hysterics are revealing a hidden desire inside of you that you don't know about. And it's concealed even to you, hmm. but the hysterics are pointing to it. Yeah. And that's how it's seeping out of your life. Yeah. And so it's saying something. You need to listen. This feels like very trying to be very radically truth-telling of your experience mm-hmm. and like trying to just open yourself up to being something way completely different than what you've ever imagined yourself to be. And also probably more of a true self. Right. A, a self. Yeah. Not not a handed self, not a imparted self, a, a, a self-decided self. Hmm. And, and if you're going to talk in a Christian terms, I guess you could add the sense of like identity in Christ, whatever that means. Um, but it's not identity in your inherited cultural norms. Yeah. You know, or even your family of origin. Well, it's getting in touch with this, like, I mean, like the God within you. Yeah. And yeah. not the, all the like masks around it that society, your schemas, your defenses have built yes. around that. Yes. Like completely trying to like break it down. And then thinking that's you. And then this idea of like a, a real emphasis on freedom uh, like sort of a self-made person, like really owning who you are, what makes you you and mm. sort of reveling in that. And, but also like confronting the baggage that you carry just from growing up and existing. Light <laughs> casual I, work you know, here, you I guys. Ho- I, hope, I hope this doesn't sound too out there. It's not, no. it's not nonsense. It really isn't just like, it's not spouting off. I mean, there's a lot of realness to all this. Yeah. So is the idea that you are like living a life of conversion. So it's like you're practicing converting daily. daily. I, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. I, I think, uh, let me just keep reading some of these books. Okay. <laughs> uh, he says, this is one I won't spend too much time on, but he said, every conversion is a leap of faith. Um, conversion is too often. Oh, this is a great one. Conversion is, so this is where it really comes down to it. Now we're getting really into the, here we go. Conversion is too often just another jump into certainty. Okay. Okay. So this is the key. This is the key to understanding conversion in terms of how I learned about it on this trip. (laughs) We have certainty and this goes back to the lack. Mm -hmm. So instead of being converted into a life of fulfillment and promise and joy and happiness Mm -hmm. or what they would call certainty, Mm -hmm. Um, 
you're converted into something more real, which is unknowing. Hmm. So Ooh. you go from knowing to unknowing and you not, you know, where is the first part when we were talking about like embracing the lack or embracing the void or embracing the struggle. This is embracing mystery. Hmm. And so you convert from certainty to something that if it's true conversion, it's inevitably and innately mysterious and mm. an enigma mm. and you embrace it. And, and which I think that the, the, what they're saying is, is you discover as you go. So it's not like, it, but, but they were saying in order for it to be a true conversion, it has to be annoying because you don't know. Yeah. You don't know who your real self is. You just know at the start that it's not what you were given. It can't be. Can you think of like your real yeah. self was just handed to you by your parents and your culture? That can't be true. Right. You know, I'm just who my parents told me to be. I'm just who America told me. I to mean, be. partially. You're also, yeah. you're, you've been yourself acting in those systems. Yeah, you don't want to like all, use that as an excuse to just be a bad person. Oh, it's just who my, you know. Well, yeah, and they also think that you would have responded to those situations differently than someone else mm-hmm, born. Mm-hmm, so we, mm-hmm. there is a part of ourselves that is still there and existing. I think that's true. It's just a false. The, the it's, free It's self, not. It's not like your full heart. self because you're existing yet you're existing within a certain cage and you only have certain limits because Mm -hmm. of the way you've structured who you are around it's so deep it's so deep but that's well said i think i think you're right and there's more to it but it's (laughs) (laughs) so this is the interesting thing he he talked about a really good um example of a conversion and i thought of a better one as i was thinking that, that, that would be mostly just for you and me i don't know if everybody else will understand it but he talked about this character, Michael Clayton, which is one of my favorite movies, which I highly recommend to everybody out there. It's an amazing movie. What it's movie? with George Clooney. It's called Michael Clayton. Okay. And he plays this lawyer or, or like he's he's what you call a fixer. And so corporate lawyer organization types uh, hire him to fix things that they've been doing in a suspicious, bad way. Okay. So he's really high up there. Uh, at the end, he has a conversion, essentially, and realizes that he's bad. Hmm. and seeks out to fix it now i'm telling you this it's still worth watching it's an amazing movie but it's a great his point is it is a great end conversion scene it's a it's a it's a confrontation that he has with tilda swinton Hmm. where you essentially watch him um convert in real time but he essentially converts to this from this fixer who's this bad guy to an unknown and so the the very last scene is he does this final act which is like a virtuous act and then he and then he they, the camera shows him go down this escalator out into the city streets of New York, get into this taxi cab. And he says he gives him this money and says, just drive me around. Hmm. And the, the as the credits roll, it just sits there and looks at George Clooney and him staring out the window. So so he's like it, he's gone from this to he doesn't know. Right. It's just nothing right now. Right now, he's just in the cab. Something's hmm. out there for him, but he's not. He's not going from certainty to certainty. He's going from certainty to an unknown. He'll figure it out as he goes, but he's oh. just abandoned it. Do you feel like you had conversion, like a conversion moment on this trip? No, no. The, 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 I mean, I think probably if it's real conversion, it should sound terrifying. It should sound like jumping out of an airplane. Yeah. I mean, I can't honestly say sitting here before you that I'd, I've, I've experienced this hmm. and hmm. it does sound scary. Yeah. And I'm sure for George Clooney in this episode, it was scary. Or this yeah. episode, this movie. What is it? Ooh. And then to think about true conversion probably is going to come at somewhat of a cost to your relationships or it's going to freak people out or spook them. It does seem to require some kind of the way you're speaking of it, like a major shift. Mm-hmm. 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 
like it's like but oh man it seems hard yes no it really does <laughs> well, it sounds easy it sounds interesting so here's my here's what i thought about a good conversion if anybody's listened to our podcast and knows us i'm sure i would guess 75 percent of people know what i'm about to say but i think a great example of a conversion is zuko from airbender oh <laughs> that is a good one yeah because he was handed a family lineage and he lives into it most of the show yeah and sorry to give if if you don't want me to give away last airbender everybody just skip this yeah but beep beep yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i do think with the character of zuko he he makes a conversion with a huge risk he leaves his old self behind he doesn't know what the new self is going to bring. Mm. And it's even very awkward for a while. Hmm. He's trying, but he doesn't know how to do it. And it takes a sort of leap of faith in terms of hoping that this new community is going to receive and accept him. He's definitely being denied by his old community. Yeah. Um, and so it is a leap into the unknown and he figures it out as he goes. And I do think that's how it works is like, if you do make, hopefully it's, it's not like it's guaranteed, right? Right. That's the thing. It's not guaranteed, but he does find his way eventually. Hmm. Uh, and that seems like a real conversion. Ooh, this is interesting. So it's essentially converting you out of the thinking of seeking pleasure, but also converting you out of like acknowledging and trying to push resist all that you've like thought you knew yeah. and like abandoning that for anything else other than that. Well, they say they, they say we can fetishize conversion. So there's people out there that, need to can be converted from addiction to conversion. That's why I think like they were saying like a true conversion is not necessarily a one time only thing, but it's not something that happens every day because people can just be like, I convert, I convert, I convert. It's just something that I do, but it's, they said essentially it's converting from certainty to certainty. Hmm. You're just going from one system to the next with all the, again, like in terms of this lack, like they, they, this is what I like about Peter Rollins. I saw him and I highly recommend this to everybody because for a long time I was really addicted to watching atheists debate Christians. <laughs> and there is, there's this new movement called the new atheist. I don't even know if it's new anymore, but it's like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and another guy named like Peter Krause. And there is all these other Christians who would debate them. Hmm. Interestingly, I don't even remember their names. I remember the atheists names, but uh, um, the, the Christians never came across great. They never hmm. did well in these debates. And Peter Rollins, Peter Krause is this guy that's like on the debate circuit. Mm -hmm. and he's a scientist first and foremost, and he's just bringing sort of this raw science to bear on these discussions. <laughs> and Peter Rollins was the first person that I watched like flip the whole debate upside down. Hmm. And Peter Krause was just utterly confused. Hmm. Like Peter, he, <laughs> I mean, this is, this is what Peter Rollins does. He so, makes you confused? Well, no, he, <laughs> he absorbs the critique. That's his mm. whole point. So he's not coming out with you. I think this, I think this. So Peter Krause would be like, well, I think this. And, and Peter Rollins would be like, good point. Yeah, I do too. I agree. And he'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that was the, that was the thing is like, they would say Peter, a person like Richard Dawkins, who is sort of the leader of the new atheists is doing what other religions do, essentially selling a different form of fulfillment. 
hmm. and happiness. Hmm. And he's doing what pastors do essentially. It's like become an atheist because actually I have a better sense of wonder. I have a better sense of Oh, so it's the same. It's, it's the, the same, same lore. Message. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you can convert from a certain Christianity, like a certainty in Christianity oh, to a certainty I have big in atheism. Feelings. I yeah. can feel this. Yes. <laughs> and so it's not about the right system of belief. It's about stepping into the unknown. It's about stepping into the mystery. So it's about stepping. So you can fetishize conversion or be like a chronic converter hmm. and just be converting from certainty to certainty, to certainty. It's going to continue to produce the same toxic problems in your life. This feels like it requires something radical happening. I know. I know. <laughs> Which we don't know everybody in no small thing. <laughs> You're just talking about this. Stuff. I mean, I don't know. I'm inspired by it. <laughs> but he, he, I do love this about these conferences. They take these passages and they'll just all of a sudden blindside you with this. Because there'll be a passage like when Jesus says, those who don't hate their father and mother cannot follow me. Hmm. And now they just throw this verse in the midst of this conversation. It makes sense in a whole new way. Oh, like, I, yeah. You need to leave behind your, your father and mother in quotes, the things right. that birthed you, the yeah. things that made Oof. you um, into and what they call a pure love, which is unknowing. It's accepting. It feels risky. It's grace. They're big on grace. That's like jumping out of an airplane. We want control. Yeah. We yeah. want familiar. You Ooh. Know? Whoa. This Woo. is this is good and big. I'm going <laughs> to be pondering this. Um, okay. So here's a little, f a few key little things too that I thought were, were just interesting about conversion to think about. Uh, we're, I can think we're kind of wrapping up this part of conversion, but um, they said conversion is often offered from a non-lacking authority figure. So it's a false authority figure in the sense that there are authority figures out there, leaders, mm -hmm. who will give you a false um, sense that they have found the secret. And this is what I was saying oh, about Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Um, it's not true. No person is non-lacking. But they'll make you feel and believe that they are non-lacking and that they found the secret. Right. So these people made us feel like they found the secret because conversion is the secret. <sighs> Maybe they did. Maybe they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they said the key to true conversion is to understand and appreciate that the master doesn't know anything. And the master in quotes, the master, whoever you're holding up as an idol in your life to think that somebody out there does know and holds the key yeah, and that they're going to help you and essentially then to, then to say that they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. They don't. Um, so this is why this is where it sort of heads into more of a Christian. Oh, it's kind of ethic. fun. It just this lets your brain go there, <laughs> yeah. which is fun. <laughs> uh, universal love rips us out of our adherence to family cycles and patterns. Ooh, literal family and cultural family. Ooh, universal love rips us out. Um, you could say adherence, but you could probably also say addiction to family cycles and patterns. Um, oh, speaking of family. Oh, here we go. The family. <laughs> uh. We're still recording, and Macy's actually going to be editing this episode, so I don't know how you're going to do what I'm about to do. I'll figure it out. But we'll just, we just need to acknowledge that Janet and Bill just walked into the house. My family walked in. We yeah. were talking about family, and they walked up the Isn't steps. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. I don't know what we were saying about family. Well, I do want to make a clarifying point that this is not in any way, and it shouldn't be, and this is what we talk about with Enneagram, like demonizing or talking bad about family. It's just saying that we are all limited. I'm limited as a parent. <gasps> I think it's not even saying you're like, we're not even talking about your family, but it's the way you interpreted those structures and the like the idols you've made out of that the you were handed that are incomplete, right? Ne inevitably incomplete. And yeah. always there is no exception. 
It's incomplete. Okay. <laughs> and you don't know. There's it. a lack. Yeah, there's a lack. Uh, so the, the, to, to wrap this up, it says real conversion has to do with uncertainty and embracing the lack. So the whole theme here is embracing the lack, embracing. Stepping into the void. Stepping in the void, not trying to get rid of it. It's there. And, and it's not just, I mean, I think the first step is uh, embracing it and acknowledging it. But I think what he's trying to tell us is finding a way to enjoy it. Yeah. Finding a way to enjoy the uncertainty, finding a way to make it in, into somewhat of an adventure, the unknowing, the hmm. pursuing, hmm. the stepping out into like, you could call it like, you know, uh, any, any adventure, call it, call it Lord of the Rings. I don't know. Like there isn't a guarantee. Yeah. And we love that though. Yeah. Those in terms of story. The, I think that he's like naming something that is a story that's often told, but he's yeah. saying it in a different way. I'm not I'm not the type of person at this point in my life who loves Lord of the Rings. I did growing <laughs> up. So I'm not like, oh, I mean, it does become sort of a Christian cliche to always be talking about Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or Harry Potter. Good point, too. You know, Frodo does have to step out into massive uncertainty and he finds himself along the way. Yeah. We didn't talk about Lord of the Rings on this trip, but I think that's probably another good uh, maybe maybe actually a more a, another helpful uh, uh, idea about conversion because it's gradual mm-hmm. maybe conversion doesn't have to just happen in a single it's like a moment. conversion experience or journey you might be able to call frodo's conversion the moment he decides to be the ring bearer hmm. and then he discovers the next part as he steps out into the uncertainty yeah was yeah. there another word for the lack in conversion was there like a next thing uh, I don't in think In terms so. of buzzwords? <laughs> no, I have no more buzzwords in this section. All right. Yeah. I mean, if I do, uh, we'll start going down huge rabbit holes and I'm trying to have a lot of restraint. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the next part we'll talk about coming up in our final thought is uh, how Peter Rollins in particular um, ha- wants us or is pr- helping us try to come up with ways to do what he's asking us to do, which is embrace the lack. Step out into conversion, stuff like that. We titled it Methods, Practice, and Liturgy. Oh, it's big, guys. Okay, (laughs) when we come back. back okay so the main premise of like what he talks about or what he's trying to offer and i did mention these things at the beginning but he's saying we can't we can't do these things on our own Mm -hmm. Uh, so you can't necessarily um self-diagnose right and so especially if you think about how i said most of this stuff is coming through a deeper understanding and engagement with psychoanalysis Um, my understanding again as a lay person that is not a psychoanalyst (laughs) But I do go to counseling. And you go to a psychoanalyst. I do. Yeah. But I'm not doing psychoanalysis. True psychoanalysis is going three or four times a week. Oh, okay. Um, so it was really interesting to hear this woman who is a psychoanalyst 
talk about how it's so frustrating to be with clients that only come once a week. And I was like, Oh shoot, that's me. I wonder if Jason thinks the same thing about me. But, um, so, uh, essentially my understanding again, as a lay person, what you're trying to do in the context of psychoanalysts, psychoanalysis is provide an environment where somebody feels so utterly comfortable that, um, things that you would have never been able to predict can start to emerge. Hmm. Um, honesty, safety. So like, uh, if you, if you feel settled, if you feel calm, if you feel like there is a person that's listening and it's, it's essentially what they say is providing a container, hmm. a place that can contain the even hysterics, hmm. the emotions, the unpredictability, the things that will be done and said that will re- reveal the, the truth of what those things are trying to say. So, oh man, these are big concepts. Like the idea of hysterics, that was something yeah. that was really delved into. Hysterics are like essentially saying we have energy in our early childhood that gets tampered down in many ways. And so the routes that the energy can get released get very limited. Hmm. And so it, it, those, those energies, and I'm not talking nonsense here. This is real. <laughs> This isn't like uh, like the energy new age. So I feel like like new is this new age? This is true. I mean, kind the of the energies. Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, they they the the ways that they can get um, expressed get limited, mm-hmm. and so we have these desires that are probably quite legitimate mm-hmm. that we f- for some reason don't feel are legitimate. Yeah, and so they start to manifest themselves in very unhealthy, unhelpful ways. Like they manifest not actually what's happening but they may manifest in like depression or like manic episodes things like that yes and then he would say um these anxieties and the hysterics are trying to communicate something very important to us Mm -hmm. so what a psychoanalyst Mm -hmm. can do is provide the space where you can start to listen right to the hysterics you can start to listen to the anxiety so they would say we don't want to quell or tamper down the anxiety we want to get closer to it Mm -hmm. and so if you're providing a, a safe container in that situation, you can get closer to it in a way that's going to feel hopefully um, healthy yeah. and not terribly threatening. Well, and, and it honors that you have those feelings mm-hmm. and emotions that that's actually happening. It's mm-hmm. like that's speaking to something within you. But I think one of the um, maybe misnomers of therapy, and again, not talking as a <laughs> counselor or therapist, is that um, that the patient knows or the therapist knows. Hmm. The patient comes in knowing and if they they just need a person that they can be honest with hmm. and then they'll tell hmm. but they don't know they it don't it gets know. revealed yeah. as and the therapist space. doesn't know it's yeah. not like the therapist has this special skill where they're able to all of a sudden diagnose you right um so they start to essentially they say you're going to listen to the symptom together hmm. okay so there's that psychoanalysis thing and the, let's just say about life and liturgy and church and practice okay okay so he's essentially saying we can, first of all, bring that spirit of psychoana- psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. Nobody go around thinking they're psychoanalysts. <laughs> Don't do this. That's not what we're saying. You bring the spirit Kay. to your friendships. Meaning if you can, that's why Peter Rollins loves talking about like uh, the Irish pub. Hmm. He says a sports bar in America is a place where we go to numb out and hmm. not be honest hmm. and continue to go with the wish fulfillment. Um, but that an Irish pub is a place where you go and you're honest and you're typically hearing a guitarist in the background or a singer talking about depression and sadness and the love, the lost love of their <laughs> life. And it's a place where you go to get in touch with those mm. real things where it's like you you can be that and bring mm-hmm. that. And you can have these moments, these, 
these encounters where you're just able to say, I am depressed. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm sad. I'm anxious. And mm. it's like, yeah, that's okay. And I'm a friend that can listen to that. You're not like, Hey, you're being a buzzkill tonight, man. Mm. Let's, let's get back to the fun times. Let's get back to the game. You know, it's like, no, like we're, we're being honest. Yeah. So there's that, there's just the everyday friendships where we're trying to create space for us to be real. Um, but then he said in terms of liturgical practices in a church context, and this is where it takes some real innovation. Hmm. Um, you need things that help you in a very sort of compelling, um, tricky, uh, creative way, get in touch and confront, hmm. I would say hmm. the lack, um, or the dissonance yeah, or the, or the whole. Um, and so that's what he says all, I don't know. We're using big words like liturgy. Liturgy <laughs> is essentially like the, the practices of or the, the traditions, the things that we enact in, in church settings in particular, you could call that hymns. You could call those sacraments. Uh, but, but the ways we can do that are really limitless. Hmm. So Peter Rollins had this thing called icon that he did for seven years, which is essentially what launched him where he was essentially doing this in bars in Belfast with musicians and poets. And, um, they would do crazy things. I mean, it does sound like sort of punk rock church. And I wish I had a list of the things they did, but like they would invite you to an icon event and it would essentially be like an hour and a half to two hours of like my understanding Again, mm -hmm. could be getting it wrong. Um, really creative ways, artistic, um, ways to get you in touch with these things that mm. would sort of take you off guard. So for example, one I would of like them, try and break you down. Yeah. Not break <laughs> you down to one of, one of the things, if anybody knows Christian authors, uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called telling it slant. Hmm. Telling it slant is like essentially saying it in a way that comes at you sideways and catches you off guard so you mm. can hear it more. So it's not coming at you aggressively in a way that's threatening to you. It's, it's saying I came in in a way that with, with either humor hmm. or music or poetry or art that, that made it a little bit more palatable to you instead of oh. coming right into your face where that you're all of a sudden going to be on guard. And then when if it's coming like at a at a slant it's yeah. like you you then enter into it yourself like mm -hmm. it feels more of like a you process than someone just naming these things yeah at you. especially if you're deciding to go to an icon event you kind of know what you're getting yourself into yeah so for example one of the things that they would do or that they did in one of their events and he talked about some of the things that they did it's just, i just have a bunch of random bullet points here that i'm not going <laughs> to go through it it wouldn't make any sense but um they there's this idea with jesus of like the second coming mm -hmm. and we don't know when it's going to happen. And so we're always waiting. Mm -hmm. And so they did this thing at an icon event where it's like there, apparently there had already, there had always been already been some like rhythms and expectations built in on what an icon event was. So everybody's showing up and they're at the doors waiting to get in. Mm -hmm. And a guy comes out and says, Hey, just so you know, we're setting up the band. We're, we're having some technical difficulties. We're, we'll start in a did second. They just make everyone wait the whole time. Yeah. That was the whole thing. Oh, and they just kept coming out. We're, we're going to come out in a second. We're going to be here. Just, just keep waiting. And they eventually come, they all eventually come in and that's the end of the night. It's like, they read that passage. We never know the day or the hour. Have Dang. a good night, everybody. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, that's like kind of messed up, yeah. but also very fascinating. He talked about how they always ended with taking away something. So one of the things was like, um, uh, embracing and understanding and, um, holding holding each other's beliefs hmm. so one of the things that you were supposed to write down on a piece of paper at the beginning of an icon event was a belief that you had and at the end of the night they had like something to help you do this but you're supposed to sew a person's belief into your jacket pocket and walk around with it so someone else's yeah 
Oh gosh. Yeah. And another one was this idea of like false solutions to your life, like these promises and solutions that ultimately are not going to be actually that helpful. And <laughs> this is what they, they always have this like play on words, but essentially like a person at the very beginning of the night was handing out little vials that said solutions on it. It's like a solution, you know, <laughs> and uh, you're taking these solutions and holding it and buying the solutions and it's actually not going to do anything for you. So it's like these, these like tangible ways to like yeah. see it. For, I'll just say this for, for people that are practicing Christians or part of a church and probably other churches and faith traditions too. We already actually do have a lot of these things built into our traditions if we choose to embrace them. Hmm. So there are, liturgies of lament there are liturgies of um things that help you get in touch with your longing and don't offer resolution i think Mm. that's the key Hmm. um we're obsessed with resolution and we're obsessed with false promises and so again i guess the whole theme of the night is this idea of embracing the lack and not trying to run away from it and Hmm. making peace with it and coming to terms with it Hmm. Not to say that I've done it. <laughs> saying this is this is the theme. Um, it seems inspired to by it. Inspired I by feel it. like even just partially like absorbing this th- way of thinking mm-hmm. will affect your life. But I do. I'm inspired by this idea of a full conversion. <laughs> I know. Maybe we'll put. We should post some of these things in the show notes. But we'll post some links to Peter Rollins. Todd yeah. McGowan was the other person. This other. psychoanalyst woman uh, Jameson Webster Hmm. she was the person that presented that week Uh, another guy named Barry Taylor who was actually one of my professors at Fuller who's awesome wow he came he was actually not my professor he was Marissa's and I was very (laughs) jealous because he taught arts and culture and she went to South by Southwest with him and wow uh, Sundance Film Festival for a seminary class you finally got to bond with him yeah he was really fun Um, so I think that's it we did a good job of having some self-restraint yeah, good job. We're, Are you going to read, read the prayer? Yeah, this is a benediction. This was a nice, quick, and easy episode this week. Well, we packed a lot in. You know, I think it's a short episode. Hope this was interesting. Time. I mean, you all probably didn't know what you were getting into when you opened conversion. Yeah, just so you know, <laughs> I mean, I've I've been following this stuff for three or four years now, and I, I just went to a four week conference on it, and I'm still four day four day four week. Um, I'm still just scratching the surface i think of my comprehension at least mm-hmm. you know um but it's been it's been good so again like in terms of the theme of flipping things on its head and in terms of like the goal of what peter and this stuff is trying to get us to see is we have these typical benedictions in a church s- situation and probably even here on no small thing where we're trying to point to and maybe rightly so um a sense of wholeness, a sort of a sense of completion, a sense of um, a potential hope and completion out lingering in the distance. Like a shalom. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yet maybe sometimes it's necessary to have one that helps us understand that it's okay not to have that. Hmm. So this is uh, a benediction that Peter actually said to us, Macy and me, when we went to see him at the Neptune. And I thought it was so cool and compelling. So this, I think, will be a a really appropriate benediction in terms of what we've been talking about on this episode. So this is, this benediction is called Go in Pieces. So if you've been listening to this episode, uh, this is a benediction to you. Hopefully you have a new sense of uh, feeling um, maybe a little bit okay with your sense of uh, longing or your sense of lack or a sense of separateness. Here it comes. The task has ended. Go in pieces. 
Our faith has been rear-ended, our certainty unmended, and something might be mended that we didn't know was torn. And we are fire, bright burning fire, turning from the higher places from which we fell, and emptying ourselves into the hell in which we'll find our loving and beloved brother, mother, sister, father, friend. And so, friends, the task has ended. Go in pieces to see and feel your world.
this is like true like this is an enneagram seven's nightmare in an enneagram four i'm like true. oh yes this, this is, is what i've been yeah. like trying to tell people 